Hello and welcome to Eccentric Earth, the podcast where I, your host Amy Walker, delve into stories from across history with a guest who has no idea what the topic's going to be. Joining me this week is Chris Haig. <laughs> Hi. Hi, back again, Chris. <laughs> back again. I was laughing at the description and you're like, oh, they have no idea. And I was like, it's just like, surprise, history. <laughs> well, you know it's going to be history, but you have no idea who or what no. it's going to be about. <laughs> no, if anyone's listening or they've heard the previous episodes, I genuinely have no idea. She doesn't tell me. There's no, oh, you might it might be in this area, it might be in this. The only one you've ever given me for was like a content warning one for one of them. And the rest of it was just like, nah, you'll be fine. So, <laughs> you'll be fine. Yeah, everyone's been fine so far. No one's hated it and refused to come back, so. <laughs> Traumatise anyone, which is always a bit of a plus, if you can avoid that, so that's good. Well, I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. This topic I've picked for you tonight is one of the stories that made me want to do this podcast in the first place. Ooh, okay. It's it's not a long story. Okay. Um, you're not going to have another hour and a half epic. <laughs> it was, okay, for, for, for reference for the listener, it's only because when Amy very kindly asked me back on the show, I was like, yeah, yeah I'm really happy to do it. But um, is it going to be as long as the last one? Because the <laughs> the football one was, 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 it, it was, it was quite an episode. It was quite a lot because this guy just did random shit. And to be fair, half of it is me pausing and going, no, that's, that can't be real. And you're like, it is. And I'm like, no, one human being can't be like Forrest Gump and fit all this shit into one life. One very short life, as it happens. But yeah, uh, but no, that's why that's why she's like, no, no, it's going to be it's going to be a short one. So I'm like, oh, cool. Hopefully you'll find this guy as amazing because I I absolutely love this this person we're going to do tonight. Ooh. And yeah, I, I'll just leave it at that and I'll see what you think as, uh, as the story yeah. unfolds. Mm, okay. A quick message to our listeners from our friend and guest Holly Rose about the Cosplay Journal, a coffee table magazine focusing on the diversity and craft of cosplay. Released on the 11th of June, the Cosplay Journal wants to show that not only can anyone be involved in cosplay, but that everyone is capable of learning new skills, creating amazing things, and bringing joy into their own and other people's lives through the art of costume making. The first issue features craft-focused articles on sewing, armour building and makeup, as well as interviews with some incredible cosplayers who have taken their own paths with their hobby, some becoming professionals, some simply being the perfectionist amateur. They ask, are cosplay guests worth it in their opinion piece and give readers a look into the everyday lives of cosplayers to show you the hard work that goes into these wonderful creations. All of this is accompanied by images of cosplayers from around the UK showcasing the amazing skills and artistry from the cosplay community. So make sure that you head over to Amazon to pre-order your copy of the Cosplay Journal to ensure that you don't miss out. 
Samuel Whitmore was born in Charlestown, Massachusetts in 1896, the second son of Samuel Whitmore and Hannah Ricks. There is little recorded of Samuel Whitmore until the age of 48, when he joined the 3rd Massachusetts Regiment under Colonel Jeremiah Moulton to fight the King George's War, the Third French and Indian War, also known as the Seven Year War, in 1744. In 1745, he was among the forces that stormed the French fortress at Louisbourg, Nova Scotia. The British government realised that with with the fortress of Louisbourg under French control, the Royal Navy could not sail up the St. Lawrence River unmolested for an attack on Quebec. After an expedition against Louisbourg in 1857, led by Lord Loudoun, was turned back due to a strong French naval deployment, the British, under the leadership of William Pitt, resolved to try again with new commanders. British forces assembled at Halifax in Nova Scotia, where army and navy units spent most of May training together as the massive invasion fleet came together. After a large gathering at the Great Pontac on the 29th of May, the Royal Navy fleet departed from Halifax for Louisbourg. On the 2nd of June, the British forces anchored in Gabarus Bay, three miles from Louisbourg. Weather conditions in the first week of June made any landing impossible and the British were only able to mount a bombardment of the improvised shore defences from a frigate. However, conditions improved and at daybreak on the 8th of June, the British-American forces launched their assault. Despite being 50 years old, Whitmore was reported to be in the thick of the fighting and emerged from the siege with a fine, albeit gaudy and over-decorated, French sabre. <laughs> Which he would go on to treasure. I'm sorry, okay. Like, I was thinking, <laughs> oh, okay, it's in his fault, he's going to be this. So, and I'd, I'd, I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about American history. Um, partially because I didn't get taught about it in school, partially because I've not um, had the impetus to kind of pick it up. So, I don't really know a lot about the kind of British American war and all that sort of thing. But, okay, so he was born, when, when was he born? He was born in 1696. Right, okay, so if you're 50, so it was uh, 1746-ish. Right, how long, what was like the life expectancy back then? Because they're like, oh yeah, no, a 50-year-old, I'm like, is that like, they think he should be dead? Or like, I, I, I don't know, because I always get the kind of life expectancy stuff mixed up in the sense of, I don't know if... 50s quite old quite you know if it was like oh no that you know loads of people live to 50 now or you know that sort of thing i really don't know what it's like with historical kind of eras and that sort of thing but i just like the idea he, he you know he was in the thick of it and then he emerged with like not just a french saber but a gaudy one <laughs> what the hell is a gaudy set like i can mentally imagine what a french saber looks like what was got was it did it come with a flag or a cape, or was it like encrusted with some odds? I love. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely. I, I always said I'm going to do these during the episodes, and I do. But I am absolutely going to Google. I just be like, okay, Samuel Whitmore, see, but I just see if there was even like a painting of it. You're going to be like, look at this. Oh my god. Okay, I love that. Ready. Um, to answer your question about life expectancy, I just looked yeah. it up as life expectancy in the American colonies around 1750. Hmm. Um, 36 years old. Wow. Life expectancy. So this guy's... So he's already 40, yeah. (laughs) So they're like... So it's the equivalent of like going to Iraq or Afghanistan now and there's like 
a hundred and twenty year old there. <laughs> yes. With an assault rifle going, Come on, you sons of bitches. I'm like, okay. Alright, I like okay, right, I like this guy already. That's awesome. Whenever he was asked how he had acquired the sword, he simply replied that the previous owner had died suddenly and refused to reveal more details. <laughs> Oh my god. Just say you stabbed him. (laughs) Just say you killed him. Don't be like, oh yes, he died. Like, Samuel is is like hungry for drama, and I love it because it's not just, oh no, yeah, I I killed him and took him as a war thing. He's like, no, he died mysteriously. As if, like, in the middle of it, this French guy, like, had a heart attack or got stolen away by a demon when it's like, no, no, you, you just shot him, didn't you? He's dead. You stole it. Don't make this a thing. And people know he's gone off to war. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's not like he killed a guy just randomly. He he's gone to fight yeah. battles. Just to That's what he it's not, it's not, Yeah. <laughs> it's not like oh murder. I've got to cover this up. It's like no, no. You're in part of service and everything. Here's this. You know, like when soldiers bring back, you know, like artifacts or relics or elements or whatever it is. But just the the. the, the the fact he has, has to have a bit of drama to it. It has to have a bit of like, you know, oh, you know, the sword, where did you get him from? Well, that's a funny story. I took it from a man in the middle of a skirmish. Oh, really? What was he? Ah, he mysteriously died all of a sudden. <laughs> he suddenly died. I'm like, was it because you stabbed him through the face? Ah, never shall I tell. Like, what? what? Okay. I love it because it's the sort of thing that like a, like, like a 70-year-old me would do. <laughs> just, just, just to get a little bit of kind of wriggle out of like the grandkids. I, do, I love it. Okay. Britain would later return Louisbourg to the French, who then spent years and a fortune rebuilding and rearming the fortifications. Then, in 1758, the British decided to retake and forever demolish Louisbourg. Whitmore, now aged 64, joined the expedition. The fort was conquered again, and he remained at Lewisburg with the wrecking crew until the fort was completely destroyed. A year later, in 1759, Samuel marched to war again, this time travelling to Quebec, where he fought for General James Wolfe against the French General Louis Joseph. In 1763, Ottawa Chief Pontiac led an uprising in what would one day become Michigan, Ohio and Pennsylvania. Sorry, Whitmore, who was then 68, promptly signed up to go into combat. Love it. Love it. All right. <laughs> His sons and grandchildren were ordered to stay home and work on the farm while he left for war with his sabre and other weapons riding away on an old rickety horse. Oh, I just love that. He's like, no, no, you guys are fine. I'll go fight in the war. <laughs> you sure, Grandad? Yeah, I'll be fine. I'll take, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take old Bessie and we'll be all right. And just, oh, I'll be up I hope he's all right. I know, I know, I know his century's dead, but still. <laughs> you want it to go well for him. <laughs> I do. I just love the idea of this kind of, like, in a film, he'd be played by, oh, I don't know, that's uh, going to be someone old and white, isn't it? I nearly said, like, oh, I'll get Morgan Freeman and do it, but no, he's probably going to be white, isn't it? I don't know. Like, Tommy Lee Jones. Like, it's like a Tommy Lee Jones, Harrison Ford, grumpy, just like, right, I'll go to war. No one else seems to. No, it's fine. We'll go. No. I shall go, I shall take, you know, the mysterious sabre, which you will never find out the, the backstory behind, and the old horse, and I shall go to war and leave you to do all the farming. Uh, yeah, okay. 
Samuel returned home from fighting triumphant a few months later, astride one of the best stallions ever seen in his hometown, carrying a matched pair of ornate <laughs> dueling pistols. <laughs> How? <laughs> How? How did it happen? I just, I love that. There's no history of like what he did or anything. It's just like no. it just appears on a better horse <laughs> with pistol, just like guess who upgraded. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, he just pissed off for two months and then came back so much better off than he was. <laughs> that is like that. That is like driving away from work in like a Ford and coming back in like a Bugatti. <laughs> just like what happened? Just like I don't know. I just upgraded. <laughs> da, 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 da. Okay, I I am both suspicious of and dearly love this man now. (laughs) According to Samuel, the former owners of the dueling pistols, who was an enemy officer, had died suddenly. Oh my god, again! (laughs) Just tell them! They won't care! You'll be like, oh, you're like, no, these... The owners of the pistols, they died mysteriously as well! (laughs) He's dedicated to the line. (laughs) I love it! Every it's just like he, he thought one joke and just stuck with it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Samuel proved to be just as aggressive in his civilian life as he was in war. During a heated election contest in January 1741, he loudly declared that one of the contestants for public office, Colonel Roderick Shipley Vassal, was no more fit for office than Samuel's elderly horse Nero, whose value he assessed to be less than five pounds. Okay. Colonel Vassal was so pissed off with Samuel that he had him jailed that same night, and while Samuel was in his cell, Vassal sued him for defamation of character. The ensuing trial was a heated and well-attended one, the courtroom packed with people wanting to see what Samuel would do. Samuel represented himself and managed to win his case. Good for him. He then sued the colonel for false arrest, and after representing himself again, the court awarded him the equivalent of $6,000 in damages and to soothe his pride. Nice. I like He basically called a guy an arsehole and then got six grand for it. <laughs> yeah. Just like, well, I mean, you know, freedom, freedom of speech and everything. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, fun fact, you know, the whole thing where you can sue one for kind of wrongful arrest, all that sort of thing, it's what they're doing at the moment. I know, depending on when this comes out, it might be timely, but the recent spate in America of, um, and I could say this because I'm white, but idiot white people who are calling and saying, you know, oh my God, there's a black guy in a Starbucks, oh my God, there's a black guy on my street, there's a black people barbecuing, that sort of thing. They're actually starting to do it. They weren't aware they could do it. Like, no, no, you can actually sue someone for lying and getting you falsely arrested. So I'm like, listen, if that happens to you, do it. Do it. Get revenge. You know, you, you know if you call someone, you know, an arsehole and they get you arrested, sue them back and get whatever, well, $6,000, so I guess whatever the equivalent would be. But, you know, get money. Ruin them. I like to do this every so often in your thing. You just, like, kind of incite, like, kind of like, do it. Rebel. Burn the patriarchy. <laughs> And then it gets back to, oh, what a silly man. And I'm there just going, yes, burn the patriarchy. Yes! (laughs) Uh, That's the thing. We have to learn from history. And I think Samuel Whitmore so far is a good person to learn from. It's not not bad. Because I was going to ask, like, oh, does he have family or that sort of thing? And you were like, no, no, he has, like, some, you know, sons and grandsons and grandkids, that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. So he's not just, like, like a bachelor doing it. It's like, no, no, I have a full family. Yeah, he's got like seven or eight 
sons and daughters and they've got seven or eight kids themselves because in that time you had to breed like rabbits just to make sure a couple of them lived so <laughs> yeah well that well that and there was nothing on tv so you know you've got to True. Sit on that night. yeah <sighs> following this samuel appeared to be content with his endless chores on the farm but he also became interested in the prospect of the 13 colonies gaining independence from britain he believed that his descendants should have their own country be able to enact their own laws and not be subject to the whims of a distant king and government On 19th of April 1775, British forces were returning to Boston from the Battle of Lexington and Concord, the opening engagements of the Revolutionary War. Samuel was working in his fields when he spotted an approaching British rifle brigade under Earl Percy, sent to assist the retreat. Despite not knowing that hostility had broken out and that the war between the British and the American colonies had begun, he immediately stopped working and ran into his house. Samuel loaded his musket and both of his famed dueling pistols, put his powder and ball inside his worn and well-travelled military knapsack, strapped his French sabre around his waist, and strode briskly out of the door, simply informing his worried family that he was going to fight the British, and told them to remain safely indoors until he returned. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love that. I love that he's treating it like, you know, there's there's like, you know... Like a rogue cat in the garden. Just saying, like, listen, stay inside. I'm going to go deal with the cat. It's something like, stay inside. I'm going to go fight in the war. Okay. Well, that's the thing. He doesn't know there's a war. He's just seen some British soldiers and thought, I'm going to have them. Yeah. I was just like, oh, good. Stay inside while I clear these clear these limeys off the yard. Got it. Cool. <laughs> Whitmore walked to a secluded position behind a stone wall on Mystic Street, near the corner of what is now Chestnut Street in Arlington. Here, he calmly settled in. Soon as the 47th Regiment of Foot, followed by the main body of British troops, appeared in view, waiting until the the regiment was almost upon him, he stood up, aimed his musket carefully, and fired, killing a British soldier instantly. As it takes about 20 seconds to reload a musket, he dropped it, and then removed and fired both dueling pistols, hitting both of his targets, killing one outright and mortally wounding another. So, ten seconds and he's killed three guys. Yeah. Only. <laughs> oh, I, I was there just like, oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not having time to reload his weapons, he dropped them and pulled out his French sabre and readied himself to fight the enraged redcoats who now surrounded him. Though the 80-year-old managed to wound several men in close combat, he was stopped when one of the English soldiers fired his rifle point-blank into Samuel's face. Ooh, oh no. The heavy bullet tore half of his cheek away and knocked him flat on his back. Despite being shot in the face, Samuel attempted to rise and continue the fight. English soldiers repeatedly clubbed him in the head and body with the butts of their rifles, and he was stabbed with bayonets 13 times. When the last of the soldiers had left the scene, the villagers who had seen the fight came out of hiding to approach the body. Amazingly, not only was he still alive and conscious, he was also trying to reload his musket so he could keep on fighting. Oh my god! <laughs> I have never met this man, but I love him with my entire heart right now. Love that he's. You know, I mean, it's he's like good Rasputin. He was shot, <laughs> stabbed, clubbed, berated, all that sort of thing. And not only is he like still alive, he's there like I'm gonna get you, you fuckers. And just he's loading it up and 
I just love that. He's uh, just going to piss them off even more. <laughs> and he's like twice the life expectancy age. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a guy who's 150 nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this isn't like, you know, an ancient 160-year-old going like, and? And just like, just, you know, going like, oh my God, they stabbed you. Oh my God, they shot me. And it's just like, they missed. And just, I love it. It's mentally, it's almost like that Sean Connery stand of, just like, I don't give a shit. I'm still alive. I'm going to get him. And for them to want him dead that much that they shoot him in the face, club him and stab him that many times, you know he's done some serious damage to those guys with that sword as well. Yeah. It's like, we've got to make sure this fucker dies because he is <sighs> he is messing us up kind of fight. <laughs> well, that's it. He's, you know, he's killed two, mortally wo- wounded a third. God knows what's... Uh with a sword or anything and then you know just going like oh no we'll just we'll just, you know do this to him make sure he stays down and then he doesn't <laughs> and then he's just like oh god i love him i love him so much a door was used as a makeshift stretcher and samuel was carried to the nearby cooper tavern dr cotton tufts of medford stripped away sam's torn and bloody clothing and was aghast at the many gaping bayonet wounds and other numerous bruises and lacerations according to every medical text tufts had ever studied and all of his years of experience treating injured people the old man should have bled to death from the internal injuries tufts remarked that it was useless to even dress so many wounds since samuel could not possibly survive for very long the deep bayonet thrusts must have pierced many of his internal organs, he argued. The bystanders, however, persuaded the reluctant doctor to do his best, and Tufts bandaged Samuel. When the bandaging was finally finished, Samuel was carried back to his home to die surrounded by his grieving family. To the surprise of everyone, Samuel lived. Ah! And continued active for the next 18 years. <sighs> Samuel would take part Ah. in numerous Minutemen missions during the Revolutionary War, using guerrilla tactics, including shooting at redcoats whilst hiding in trees, to continue his fight against the British. Oh my (laughs) god. Why hasn't... I know I've said this three or four times, why hasn't a film been made just about... Just do it as like a comedy. Just do it like... like, He won't die. He's like, ah, you got me. You think... It's just like, you're probably going to bleed to death of me, so we'll get your family around it. And he's like, I think not. (laughs) I'm going to live for another 18 years, which is, what, half the lifespan again. So I'm now... Hang on, so like 98, so three... I am now three times... I am now the equivalent of 240 (laughs) years old. In Bible times, I am Nebuchadnezzar. I am the ancient thing, thing, and I'm, you know, I'm still going to be active. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing. I, I love that. I, oh. Samuel Whitmore died on February third, seventeen ninety-three, at the age of ninety-eight. Proud that he has done his part for America's fight for independence. I don't, th- I don't think he's dead. <laughs> I think he's saying he's like I'm just done, I'm just done with questions. It's like a four hundred year old farmer out there somewhere, just like yep. Yeah, if I see a Brit, I'm gonna shoot him. Oh. When asked if he had ever regretted his heroic deed, which had left him disfigured, Whitmore would proudly reply, "No, I would do it all again." Oh my god, he's so good. And that's um, Samuel Whitmore. I told you, not very long, but. Oh my god, I love this man. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is 
I'm thinking of the ones you've given me before. Like, not maybe the most impact, but like the most brave. This is probably the bravest person. And like the most, one of the most badass people. So, I, yeah. I'm, oh my god, I love <laughs> He's almost the opposite to Robin Friday in the sense of that man packed so much into such yeah. a short time and Samuel Whitmore was like I'm going to live forever but I'm not going to bother doing anything for the first half a century but then I'm yeah. going to go balls out crazy well that's it it's kind of like Robin Fredo when I'm going to because he died when he was like 30, 38 he wasn't yeah. very old 38 and bless him Samuel Whitmore didn't start until he was in his 40s so it's just like those 40 years it's like I'm just going to relax I'm going to you know get married, have some kids, have some grandkids, I'm going to be a farmer, and then when the war starts, ooh, he's going to pop off on one, and I'm just like, I do. I love this so much. I am going to, I am going to do my own research now, just like, <laughs> I just, I love it. That Unfortunately, that is one of the, the bad things about Samuel Whitmore, is there's not a huge amount about <clears throat> him. Um, there's there's almost nothing from when he was born to the first time he went off to war. And then his exploits in the war, it's like they know he was there. Yeah. But there's no, like, he did specifically these things. And then he'd just come back with all his war swag, but tell no one how he got it. So there's not even, like, second-hand accounts. It's, it's really my... frustrating. I know, but that's my favourite thing. He just sort of disappears for stretches of time and just appears with, like, horses and gaudy <laughs> sabres and just, like, all that kind of stuff. And that makes it better. I think if we knew, it'd sort of potentially ruin it a bit. Which, maybe that's why he never he never outright said, oh, I got this from this. It's because the mystery and the drama of it is what makes it so cool. The fact he's there just like, oh, yes, they suddenly died. How? Never you mind. How, How did you get the sabre? Never you mind. Just, it's, yeah, it's just the idea of, like, a recurring or, you know, drama story. So, oh, I do, I like him. If it wasn't for his fight on his farm, you could almost be forgiven thinking he didn't do anything during the war and he just bought this stuff. But then yeah. he went full on Terminator at 80 and it's like, oh no, he was a tough fucker. <laughs> There's no two ways about it now. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy, I'm happy knowing that now. I'm just like, <laughs> Samuel Whitmore, you ancient... I, I refuse to believe he's dead. I genuinely... <laughs> At the, at the rate he's going, where they're just like, oh, he died at 98. It's like those vampires who are like, oh yeah, I'm technically... Or like those immortals who are like, oh yeah, no, I'm technically going to die, but like not really. It's just because if I stop, you know, if I just keep going, then people are going to assume something. I'm just gonna like, oh no, I'm going to die at really old age. And then just move on. So yeah, I like to think Sammy Whitmore is still out there somewhere with a gaudy sabre and a pair of pistols. Out there farming, ready to shoot any any Brits, which is, isn't great for us. But I like to think <laughs> it's a bit water under the bridge, to be honest. So it could be maybe he's got his saber because he's a Highlander and he's ready to cut heads <sighs> off. <laughs> oh my god! If they ever, if they ever do a new Highlander film, he has to get, like I don't care. I will make a petition and I'll be like, listen, <laughs> just get him in there. I don't care if you eventually have to kill him off or that sort of thing, but please, because it is such a cool story from a period I know nothing about. So I love it. <sighs> if uh, if people enjoyed this episode, where can they find you online, Chris? 
Uh, you could find. Oh, sorry, I forgot this stuff. No, then. Um, <laughs> you can find. I know. I've been really trying as I've been listening. I'm like, I, re- I like. I can just feel myself getting a bit uh, more coldy. Um, you can find me on Twitter at higher underscore boy. I basically just kind of talk about various things online. Generally, just like I like this and just you know, odds and ends. Um, I do a couple of different podcasts. So I do. Uh, good evening podcast or good evening and Alfred Hitchcock podcast which is me and two of my uh, Canadian friends uh, Brandon Shamatala and Tom Caldwell we are doing Hitchcock movies chronologically we have just stepped into the actual talkies from the 1930s at the moment uh, and it's a lot of fun uh, we've been doing some different variations as well depending on time zones so that's really interesting uh, I also do a show called North by Nerdwest which is me and one of my best mates Emma Platt uh, and we get on and discuss kind of nerdy stuff there isn't a real um, schedule for it at the moment it's kind of as and when we can do but uh, all the episodes are on iTunes I really recommend you check them out because it's quite funny it's two it's two northern nerds just having a big old gas and having, having a chat uh, and we're pretty funny uh, and then I usually pop up in you know obviously places like Eccentric Earth and Smorgasbord and other other, other odds and ends that I'm very very grateful to do Awesome and if the listeners enjoyed this episode you can follow us on Twitter by going to at Eccentric underscore Earth and you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash Eccentric Earth and we're on Instagram under Eccentric Earth if you want to write in with any suggestions for future episodes or with anything that you want us to cover, our email address is eccentricearth at outlook.com. We're now on all major podcast providers and on YouTube, so make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on <laughs> again, Chris. I I think I, I can pick up that you enjoyed yourself here. <laughs> I did. I, re- I really did. And it was just, yeah. It was, yeah. I I love this guy. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. No, definitely. And and I'm sure you'll be back again soon because it's oh, a so. lot of fun having you here it's... and talking Uh-oh. history with you. <laughs> Stop. No. What? No. Um, sorry, I had to... Right. This is just like a tiny misnomer moment, but I had a comment from a student who was like, oh, yeah, you're really nice. Are you a student? And I just... Because I'm staff and I'm ten years older than them, and I was just like, "Why you know nothing? This is that like because I've got such a baby face, I look like a teenager." <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, are you a student?" And I'm like, "Yes." I'm like, "What? No, stop it. No, keep going. Really." Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, really. I love uh, doing this. So thank you for having me on. No, anytime. Well, thank you everyone for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was awesome.